I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I have developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we're reading Genesis chapters 12, 13, 14, and 15. This is the New King James Version of the podcast. King James Version is also available. In chapter 12, Abram gets the call. Verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Morab. And the Canaanites were then in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. We see from Genesis chapter 11, verse 31, that Abram and his family were originally from Ur. That's a place located in what is today southeastern Iraq. They previously moved up to Haran, which was, by established roads, on its way to Canaan. Abram's father, Terah, had intended to go all the way into Canaan, according to Genesis chapter 11, verse 31, but he stopped short in Haran. It was there that Abram gets the call from God in verses 1 through 3. Over the next five chapters, there's considerable expansion of detail regarding this call, but for right now, let's just consider these three verses. First of all, Abram is told to leave his home and family, pack up, and head southwest to a yet undisclosed land. Now that in itself took faith. He's told that out of him will come a great nation who will in turn be a blessing to many others. Now here's the really awesome part in verse 3. God tells him, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, that's a significant promise packed with implications. It becomes the core of what we know today as the Abrahamic Covenant, which I've outlined on this printed page. You can look at it and see it on the page, or you can look at the topic section of BibleTalk.org and read the article on the Abrahamic Covenant. Now, just in case you're wondering why Abraham is called Abram in this passage, that name change doesn't actually take place until you get over to Genesis chapter 17, verse 5, That's where he's told by God that he'll become a father of many nations. Now, the destination here was Canaan. This land was inhabited by the descendants of Ham's son, Canaan. We see that in verse 6. 
They had moved there after the dispersion following the debacle at Babel. This land would later become the nation of Israel. We aren't told in Scripture, but it seems plausible that this move is the beginning of the fulfillment of the curse against the descendants of Canaan found in Genesis chapter 9, verses 25 and 26. Abram was a descendant of Shem. Upon arrival, Abram gets this word from God in chapter 12, verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Well, that settles it. This land now officially belongs to the descendants of Abram, not to the Canaanites. Oh, and two incidental facts need mentioning here. Abraham was 75 years old when he took off for Canaan, and he took his nephew Lot with him. Now, you don't see it in the New King James Version, but in the King James Version in verse 8, and again in chapter 13, verse 3, there's a reference to a place named Hai. The Hebrew letter equivalent to our English H is the definite article in the Hebrew language. The word Ai is defined as heap of ruins. When the definite article is placed in front of it, the Hebrew H equivalent, it becomes the heap of ruins. Joshua reduced Ai to a heap in Joshua chapter 8, verse 28. It says, And Joshua burnt Ai and made it an heap forever, even a desolation unto this day. So the King James Version keeps the name in these two passages with the definite article, and it's apparently included to make a point. Now, one little lie shouldn't be a problem, should it? Well, let's look in Genesis chapter 12, beginning with verse 10. Now, there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass, when he was close to entering Egypt, that he said to Sarah, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, that I may live because of you. So it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman, that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and committed her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Well, Abram ran into a little bit of difficulty when the land experienced famine. So he decided to pack up and head to Egypt for some relief. One problem, though. He was afraid for his life if the Egyptians thought that Sarah, at this point called Sarai, was his wife. Sixty-five-year-old Sarah must have been a very attractive woman, at least compared to the Egyptian women. What was he thinking when he introduced her as his sister instead? We see from Genesis chapter 11, verses 28 and 29, that she was in fact his half-sister. But first and foremost, she was his wife. Well, the inevitable happened. She was a hit in Egypt, and 
and she was invited to live in the big house, Pharaoh's house. What a life. Abram prospered in Egypt also. But then the bad news in chapter 12, verse 17, it says, But the Lord plagued Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Abram, add this to your resume, kicked out of Egypt. Sarah's name, as I mentioned, was originally Sarai, but was changed per God's instructions to Sarah in Genesis chapter 17, verse 15. That was upon the announcement that she'll bear Abraham a son who should be heir to the promises that had been issued in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. I'm of the opinion that we shouldn't try to sugarcoat Abraham's action in this passage. He did what he did. The fact is, Abraham lacked the faith that his God, who had made him a promise of prosperity in verses 1 through 3, he lacked the faith that God could follow through and deliver him safely through the famine. However, Abraham grows in his relationship with Jehovah God by the time we get over to Genesis chapter 22. At that point in time, he's fully prepared to follow through with God's command to sacrifice Isaac, and that's because he was completely certain of God's promise to provide descendants through Isaac. Now that's an example of faith growing through experience. Perhaps this is a good time to point out that Egypt is apparently where Hagar joins Abraham's entourage. She was undoubtedly one of those female servants that we see here in verse 16. She's not actually mentioned by name until we get over to Genesis chapter 16, verse 1. In chapter 13, Abram and Lot split up, verse 1. Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him, to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south, as far as Bethel, to the place where his ten had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Lot also, who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and Perizzites then dwelt in the land. So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren." Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plains of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go toward Zor. Then Lot chose for himself all the plains of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east. And they separated from each other. Uh, Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Well, due to an accumulation of wealth, it became a problem for Abram and Lot as they moved back to Canaan. Their people just didn't get along. Time to split up. Abram gives Lot the choice, and Lot chooses the really nice land east toward the Jordan River. Oh, by the way, Sodom and Gomorrah are over there, already known for their wickedness, we see in verse 13. 
Abram chooses to stay around Bethel, where he had originally built the altar upon arrival into Canaan. Incidentally, Bethel remained the less get back to God location for the Hebrews for centuries after this. Oh, when Lot runs into problems with the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah, we'll see that when we get over to Genesis chapter 19. In verses 14 through 18, God adds to the promise that he'd already given to Abraham. Verse 14, And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if any man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk of the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. Well, after Lot's departure, God speaks to Abram once again regarding his legacy. Look around, Abram. All of this belongs to you. But we'll see more detail regarding the property allocation when we get over to Genesis chapter 15, verse 18. We'll be looking at that in a few moments. However, there's a particularly significant promise included here in Genesis chapter 13, verse 16. It says, And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Whoa, that's a, that's a lot of descendants. The Apostle Paul makes a messianic point about this seed in Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. And uh, I'll have more to say about that in just a few moments when we get down to chapter 15. Abram leaves Bethel and makes a move south about 30 miles to Hebron. That's about 20 miles south of Jerusalem, the city that would later become the capital of Israel under King David. We see in Genesis chapter 14 that Abram gets pulled into some regional warfare. Verse 1, And it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Ariot, king of Elisar, Kedor Laomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of nations, that they made war with Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Admah, Shemeber, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zor. All these joined together in the valley of Sedum, that is the Salt Sea. Twelve years they served Kedo Laomer, and in the thirteenth year they rebelled. In the fourteenth year, Kedo Laomer and the kings that were with him came and attacked the Raphaim and Ashtoreth Karnaim, the Zuzim in Ham, the Emim in Shava Kerathaim, and the Horites in the mountains of Seir as far as El Paran is by the wilderness. And back and came to En Mishphat, that is Kadesh, and attacked all the country of the Malachites and also the Amorites who dwelt in Hazazon Tamar. And the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Admah, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zor, went out and joined together in battle in the valley of Sedum against Kedo Laomer, king of Elam, title king of nations, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of Elisar, four kings against five. Now the valley of Sedum was full of asphalt pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. Some fell there, and the remainder fled to the mountains. 
Then they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eskel, and brother of Aner, and they were allies with Abram. Now when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went in pursuit as far as Dan. He divided his forces against them by night, and he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobal, which is north of Damascus. So he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods as well as the women and the people. Well, what pulls Abram into this battle is the capture of Lot in verse 12. Don't mess with my kin. From among his servants, he raises a substantial army and defeats the Confederate forces of four warring factions, thus winning the release of his nephew. And he saves Sodom and Gomorrah while he's at it. Now, don't let the word king here give you a false impression. The Hebrew word translated king is simply the most common word for chief magistrate, and it's similar in meaning to several other words usually translated lord, captain, ruler, prince, or chief, and such like. If a man ruled over a city with two or three hundred people, he called himself their king back then. Abram rounds up 318 of his trained servants and wins Lot's release, and he takes a nice spoil from the battle as well. In chapter 14, beginning with verse 17, we have the entrance for the first time of Melchizedek. Verse 17. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shava, that is, the king's valley, after his return from the defeat of Kedo Laomer and the kings who were with him. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. Now the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord, God Most High, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich, except only what the young men have taken and the portion of the men who went with me. Aner, Eskel, and Mamer, let them take their possession. Abram gets a special visitor here after his victory in winning the release of Lot against the aggressive kings. You notice that Abram ties to this person, and notice his description in verse 18. He was the priest of God Most High. Melchizedek was more than just a person in my view. He was the incarnation of Jesus himself. Look at the article that I've written on Melchizedek. You can look at it here on this link, or you can go to the uh, topic section of BibleTrack.org and look for the article with Melchizedek's name in it. Abram declines at this point to accept the offer from the king of Sodom to retain the rescued spoil, which, by the way, had belonged to Sodom. In chapter 15, we revisit that seed issue again, verse 1. 
After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me? Seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven, and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Abram has another talk with God here. He wants kids, or or how about just one kid? Then God makes him a promise in Genesis chapter 15, verse 5. It says, Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Actually, that's a repeat of a previous promise in Genesis chapter 13, verses 14 through 18. But this time, Abram fully embraces it when it is said of him in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. It says, And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. That's the definition of saving faith, by the way, a believing covenant relationship with God. People have never been saved, not ever, not even once, by works. It's always been about faith, just as it is in this verse. God makes it official here with a covenant ceremony in verses 7 through 17. Verse 7. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two, down the middle, and placed each piece opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them four hundred years. And also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall return here for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass when the sun went down, and it was dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. The provisions of God's covenant with Abraham roll out over six chapters in Genesis. That's Genesis chapters 12 through 17. We know these promises as the Abrahamic covenant. Now here's the sacrifice that seals the covenant with Abraham. It's an animal sacrifice per God's specifications, and God passes between the pieces of sacrifice to mark his acceptance and agreement. Apparently this was an ancient custom for sealing covenants or contracts between two parties. Not much is known about this custom, but ancient extra-biblical sources indicate that the divided animals signified that if you break the provisions of this covenant, 
What has happened to these animals will happen to you. It's further worth noting that the term make a covenant is really cut a covenant in the Hebrew language. That seems to be a reference to the manner in which the covenants were made, blood sacrifice with the dividing of animals. Later on, covenants between parties would not necessarily involve this kind of animal sacrifice, but the Hebrew word for cut, which is karath, continued to be used to describe covenant transactions. Now notice the sealing of the covenant in verse 17. It says, And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. Make no mistake about it. This formal ceremony clearly marked the establishment of the provisions of the covenant God had made with Abraham. There is a provision in this covenant in verses 13 through 16, which might have been a little unsettling to Abraham. His descendants would end up being servants for a period of time. That's right. It's a reference to the Egyptian captivity, which really began when the family moved to Egypt in Genesis chapter 46. Now, a special note here, Abraham is equal to Abram, and that name change, by the way, takes place when we get to chapter 17, verse 5. In Genesis chapter 15, verses 18 to 21, God awards land to Abraham and his descendants. Verse 18, On the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, and the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Well, here's the land grab. God made another promise to Abram on the day this covenant was made in verse 18. It says, On the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. Now that, by the way, is from the Nile to the Euphrates. That passage has caused some confusion because the tribes of Israel didn't actually inhabit all that land when they arrived in the book of Joshua. However, upon closer inspection, we do see that David did, in fact, control the territory all the way over to the Euphrates. We see this in 1 Chronicles chapter 18, verse 3, which says, and David defeated Hadad-Ezer, king of Zobah, as far as Hamath, as he went to establish his power by the river Euphrates. So while the Israelites did not choose to live that far away, nonetheless, David's kingdom extended to that point, thus fulfilling the promise God had made to Abram in Genesis chapter 15, verse 18. Now, I have a map that you can look at. There's a link on this page. If you click there, it'll take you over to a map that shows you that territory. There was a downside to God's provision that day, and that's the Egyptian captivity for 400 years in verses 13 and 14. Abraham knew about it before it would ever happen. There's one more issue that should be mentioned here regarding Abraham's seed or descendants. There was, of course, the physical blessing of prosperity for Israel as a significant part of this covenant's provision. There's an additional component which involves believers. Look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. Galatians 3, 16, Paul writes and says this, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. 
Paul makes the point that we are all recipients of the promise God made to Abraham through Abraham's most notable descendant, Jesus Christ our Lord. When God said in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed, well, that's talking about us, Christians. Specifically, the verse to which Paul was certainly making reference regarding the seed, singular, seed issue, is Genesis chapter 22, verse 18. That verse says, In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So the physical descendants of Abraham got land and physical prosperity out of the covenant. But we all, all of us, all Christians, get Christ and eternal life out of that covenant. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Fayette Bible Church, Paul Walton. 